Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. No Greater Love, Part 2. Welcome to the First Words Podcast. This is Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor at First United Methodist Church in Florence. And today I'm continuing the series on No Greater Love, and we're focusing on developing discipline. I want to begin by talking about the power of generosity. When we think about generosity, we usually don't envision a powerful force moving across the landscape of our lives, changing how we relate to ourselves, to others, and our world. Instead, we may think of it in the same way we think of other qualities like kindness or compassion, qualities that are gentle, tender, and more identified with weakness rather than strength. Essentially, this is because we only think of generosity in terms of giving up something. Yet generosity is more than just giving up. We give up things that are bad for us. Generosity produces its power from the act not of giving up, but of letting go. Generosity requires that we release something we value, hoping that the value will transfer to others. I don't give to the church because I think money is bad. I give because I know the power of money, and I want my money to do more than simply meet my needs. By giving, I meet the needs of others. And generosity changes people's lives, both the giver and the receivers. Most of us think of ourselves as generous people. Indeed, Americans give more than any other people in the world. Mark Ewart identifies generosity as freely giving more than is necessary or expected. Generosity includes open-handedness, along with a connection to our internal experience of gratitude and the mark of a maturing spirituality. Generosity ennobles us. It makes us great souls. The following story conveys this idea of open-handedness. A small boy was trying to get some coins out of his money jar. His hand got stuck, and he started to cry. His father came to see about the fuss and quickly identified the problem. The boy's hand still clutched the coins he was trying to pull out of the jar, and so his fist was too big to pass through the mouth. His father told him he had to let go of the coins for his hand to come out of the jar. Generosity is freely and willingly letting go of something of value. Tony Campolo was speaking at a women's conference. When it came time to receive the offering, the conference leader asked Tony to pray for God's blessings upon the women as they considered what they would give. For the group had an ambitious goal to support a mission project fully. To her surprise, Tony declined, saying, All the resources necessary to fully fund this mission project are already right here in this room. It would be inappropriate for me to ask God to bless you when God has already blessed you with abundance and the means to achieve this goal. However, after the offering, when the mission project is fully underwritten, as I'm sure it will be, then I'll thank God for the generous, responsible, and faithful people in this room. After tallying the offering, indeed, the collection was more than enough to cover the cost of the mission. And Tony prayed 
thanking God for God's abundant blessings and for the women's faithful stewardship. Paul understood the power of generosity when he wrote, You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Generosity has the power to change the lives of those who give and those who receive. But for some of us, giving doesn't come naturally, and so we'll need to work on becoming more generous. And that's what I want to discuss next, developing the disciplines of generosity. Our Christian faith prescribes some disciplines that can help us. In 2 Corinthians, we see a path for developing generous giving. Three distinct disciplines will help us to grow as good stewards. And the first of these is devise your plan to give. This discipline is rooted in the concepts of sowing and reaping that we read about in our scripture for today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, The point is this, The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Some preachers and teachers have abused the principle behind this passage. They suggest that what we reap has everything to do with how much we sow. This false interpretation is called the prosperity gospel, but this is not the Christian gospel at all. There's so much more to sowing and reaping than the shallow interpretation that the more you sow, the more you reap. An agricultural analysis of this concept reminds us that sowing and reaping require thought, planning, purpose, and intention. More seeds may or may not yield more harvest. That depends on how well we care for the growing plants. Farmers don't just plant the seeds and then wait for the harvest. They tend to their crops, helping improve the yield. They work for better results. This discipline of planning to give flows from our relationship with God and requires the investment of time, energy, and attention in the process. This investment leads to a deeper engagement where we see God at work in our lives. We see not only our investment in the process, but we also know the part God is playing. In teaching the Corinthian church about cooperative leadership, Paul pointed out the growth of the church in this way. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. God chooses to partner with us, but if we want our contributions to have an impact, we must invest in the process. Some people resist pledging because they're not sure they'll be able to meet their pledge. Pledging is merely a goal we set based upon the information we currently have available that represents our intention to give to God in the coming year. We can adjust our pledge if our circumstances change. We are not stuck or locked into it. I had a salesman in one of my churches who struggled to meet the yearly sales quota his company set for him. He was always sweating the last couple of months of the fiscal year, fretting about meeting his goals. 
after one of my stellar stewardship sermons on tithing, I'm sure it was me, he decided he would reframe the way he thought about his sales goals. He calculated his income if he met his corporate goals and made his pledge to the church based on 10% of that projected income. So instead of focusing on completing his corporate goals, he was much more motivated by focusing on his ability to meet his pledge to the church. As a result, he usually met his sales goals within the first 10 months of the year and enjoyed the last two months as icing on the cake. Of course, I told him to be sure to give 10% on the icing too. Adding to his giving wasn't a problem because this salesman appreciated the structure that his planned giving brought to his life and work. Working to meet a goal in his giving to God was certainly more rewarding and productive than meeting the sales goal his company set for him. But he also turned away from a scarcity mindset toward a mindset of abundance that allowed him to develop the discipline of generosity. Well, there's a second discipline, and that is the discipline of giving freely. Shame, manipulation, and guilt never produce generosity. Most of us live with the belief that we have to give, as if we have no choice. Out of this false assumption flows all kinds of bad attitudes about giving. When we see our reason for giving changing from having to give to being motivated by gratitude, we'll become more generous. Paul reinforces this idea when he says, each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God can provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Now, there are two parts to this passage of Scripture. First, gratitude produces a desire to give. The Greek word translated as cheerful can also translate as hilarious. God wants us to give from a hilarious heart. A hilarious heart forms when we experience the overwhelming joy of being loved perfectly. When we are so convinced that God loves us and that he cares about us, we're free to let go of the false sense of security that our possessions provide. We're free to share because we know there is still enough for us to enjoy. But there's a second part to this verse that helps us develop the discipline to freely and cheerfully give, and that's that having an impact increases our desire to give. Paul said that by always having enough of everything we need, we may share abundantly in every good work. As we practice the discipline of giving, we see that not only do we have enough for ourselves, but the gifts we offer to God accomplish things in the lives of others, too. It's easier to give with a cheerful heart when we see how our gifts are making a difference. That's why it's important to go and to be with the people to whom we give. Money and other resources, well, they're not a relationship. And our relationship with those to whom we give matters. And remember this, to that which we love, we give. Giving flows out of gratitude for our relationship with God 
and cascades into the lives of those whom God loves. And in the process, we see our gifts changing lives, and we become more invested in loving those whom God loves, and our giving grows. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this about generosity, Be an opener of doors for such as come after thee. Well, a third discipline that I want to focus on is that we need to be able to give to show the world what we value. Our giving communicates much about us. What we value should receive most of our time, energy, attention, and yes, even our financial resources. So when we give to someone or something, we tell the world that the person or thing is important to us. If we spend all our money on ourselves, we're telling the world that we value ourselves most of all. And is that the kind of witness that we want to share with the world? Dorothy Day said, the best thing to do with the best things in life is to give them away. Dorothy was an American journalist turned social activist who co-founded the Catholic Worker Movement. She was known for her defense of the poor, forsaken, hungry, and homeless, often in controversial ways. Tom Cornell, an editor at the Catholic Worker Paper, wrote this about Dorothy. One day, a woman came in and donated a diamond ring to the newspaper. We all wondered what Dorothy Day would do with it. She could have one of us take it down to a diamond exchange and sell it. It would undoubtedly fetch a month's worth of expenses. That afternoon, though, Dorothy gave the diamond ring to an older woman who lived alone and often came to us for meals. Someone protested because the proceeds from the sale of the diamond ring could have paid the poor woman's rent for the better part of a year. Unfazed, Dorothy replied, well, the woman had her dignity. She could sell the ring if she liked and spend the money for rent or a trip to the Bahamas. She didn't care. The woman could even keep the ring to admire if she wanted. Then Dorothy said, Do you suppose God created diamonds only for the rich? Regardless of what we think about Dorothy and her work, she demonstrated the depth of her values. Are we consistent in demonstrating our values with our giving? God is the supreme giver. And when we give as God gives, our giving takes on new meaning. God gives to show us what's important to him. That's why he gave his son for us. We all know John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. We give to what's most important to us. In today's scripture, Paul appealed to the Corinthians, who previously promised to make a sizable contribution to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. It seemed like the Corinthians were backing away from that commitment, so Paul sent his messengers to remind them of their promise. And he said, Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with the poor Christians of Jerusalem and with all others, while they long for you 
and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Our giving inspires others, and it assures them of God's care for them. Again, our reading for today says, As it is written, God scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, quickly, two things are essential in this passage. First, nothing we have is ours because everything comes to us from God. More importantly, though, God intends for some of his gifts that he gives to us to end up in the pockets of those in need. He scatters abroad his blessings for us to share. Giving is, in and of itself, one of God's primary values. And we are never more like God, who is the supreme giver, when we ourselves give. In closing, I I want you to think about what type of giver you are. We can use three metaphors to describe ourselves. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. Now, to get anything out of a flint, we must strike it with a hammer, and the sparks, although they fly and they're brilliant, they disappear quickly. We can get water out of a sponge by squeezing it until the sponge is dry. But the honeycomb overflows with rich sweetness. It's the place where the bees store the honey they produce and the eggs that produce more bees. It's a constantly renewing cycle of provision. So if we plan our giving and we give joyfully and we show the world what's important to us through our gifts, we'll be much more like the honeycomb. So which metaphor best describes the kind of giver you are? In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you again next week on First Words. Thank you for listening to First Words. For information about our services or how to get involved in the community, visit us at fumcflorence.org and on facebook.com slash florencefumc.